G'day and thanks for joining us for this week's Two Ticks Town Talk, a segment of the Australia Talks podcast. I'm DK. And I'm RD. Please enjoy this segment from the regular podcast. Alright, on the Two Ticks Town Talk. Now, this town is not particularly big, but it's well known. Technically, it's not a town, but it's a station. Uh, it's almost 6,000 kilometres from Adelaide and Melbourne and about 5,500 kilometres from Hobart and Perth. And its temperature is not going to suit a Queenslander. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Mawson Station in Antarctica, commonly called Mawson. So it's one of uh, three permanent bases and research uh, outposts in Antarctica measured by the Australian Antarctic Division uh, in, a, in a place called Home Bay in McRobertson Land. It was established in 1954 and it's Australia's oldest Antarctic station and the oldest continuously inhabited Antarctic station south of the Antarctic uh, Circle. So it usually has about 20 personnel over winter and up to 53 in summer and was named after Sir Douglas Mawson. So just a bit of a history. Um, Coasts and mountains of McRobertson's land were first sighted by uh, Douglas uh, Mawson. There was in a seaplane reconnaissance um, and... Mawson charted the, the, the land and the coastline um, during a, a cruise around there, and uh, he landed at Cape Bruce, which was the first known landing in that region of East Antarctica. Around the same time, Norwegian whalers were active in the area, and they named a number of features, including the, the Fremnes Mountains. And during, uh, from 46 to 1946, to 1947, uh, the US took aerial photographs of the region and the Australian Antarctic Division used uh, those photos to select places to establish uh, Australia's first overwintering station on the Antarctic continent. So Law, Philip Law, who was the uh, manager of the Australian Antarctic Division, he obtained approval to mount a voyage to Antarctica in 1953-54 aboard the Kista Dan, a ship that sailed from Australia uh, where the exhibition collected men and dogs uh, wintering on uh, Heard Island. So there's also two islands that the Australian Antarctic Division has uh, bases on. Uh February 1954, he reached Horseshoe Harbour, raised the Australian flag, naming the station in honour of the Australia's polar explorer, Douglas Mawson. And in a first year, a party of 10 Australians spent winter in cramped accommodation. By 54, they'd uh, got a couple of huts, carpenter shops, shops, and 66. They had the buildings around there up to 50. And it became had become the base for exploring exploration of the uh, the, the coast to the Amory White Ice Shelf and into Enderbury Land. So uh, 
today it's a collection of like those old buildings and new ones. And Mawson is now one of the longest continuously operation the operating stations in Antarctica and the oldest south of the Antarctic Circle. So a couple of factoids. Um, it's a base for scientific research programs, including underground cosmic ray, de- including an underground cosmic ray detector, uh, long-term meteorological aeronomy and geomagnetic studies, as well as ongoing conservation biology studies. In particular, there's uh, emperor penguins nearby uh, at Adelaide. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. A D um, accented E Adelaide penguins. Um, in 2018, astronaut and academic J.C. Buckley conducted research using virtual reality at the Australian Antarctic Division's Mawson Station, and his experiment was uh, the expedition has used VR headsets to view Australian beach scenes, European nature scenes, and North American nature scenes of forests and urban environments, which obviously were completely different from the isolation (laughs) and the whiteness of that. So the reason for that one was to inform psychological techniques to support long-duration space flight, such as for astronauts going to Mars. I thought that was an interesting, interesting thing to put somebody in that situation because mentally and physically you're going to know that you're isolated and see what happens when you do the VR. Which makes a lot of sense, actually, yeah. Yeah, it does. Well, it's just, it was an interesting experiment. Because they're so isolated, you can... Mm. It's a good population to exp- <laughs> experiment on, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it's a good, good place to send somebody to it. Like if, you, if you sort of think, oh, yeah, I'm putting on the VR, but, you know, I can, when I finish the shift to, today, I can go down to the, the beach and do something. Um it's a little bit different when you're thinking, well, when I finish the shift, I'm just going to be looking at snow and cold. <laughs> yeah, or not being able to go outside because yeah. uh, because it's winter and I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting one. Uh, Mawson's also the only Antarctic station to use wind generators designed to take advantage of the fierce catabatic winds which are high-density air from a higher elevation that moves down a slope under the force of gravity. So you know how sometimes you see those things like clouds falling over the side of a, a, a cliff? Yep. Uh, those t- yeah. So, oh, well, God, you, you're a sailor. You'd know what catabatic winds are probably. Um, it's, uh, the, the ocean famously doesn't have many mountains in it, but yes. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, yeah, I think you're, I think you're actually right on that, <laughs> uh, just that you might know about the winds. So look, I thought the history of Morse was interesting, uh, but Mawson himself, I, I liked uh, a few details about him, and I'll go into that. And there was also something else about Mawson that was, I know, it's very near and dear to your, your heart. Yeah. So a little bit of a, little bit of a blurb about Mawson him, uh, himself. He was undertaking a doctorate, doctorate at Sydney Uni, joined Ernest Shackleton's 1907 to 1909 Nimrod exhibition as a geologist. That was his first Antarctic experience. 
It's along with his mentor professor, uh, who is at TW Edgeworth, David, uh, who is doing the PhD with. He completed the longest Antarctic man-hauling sledge journey of 122 days. Wow. Um, yeah, God, that's a long time to haul, haul a bloody sled. Oh, God. No, thanks. No, no. So explorers during that time were, they were focused on being the first to reach the South Geographic Pole, but Mawson was sort of keen on advancing scientific knowledge. Um, So he was inspired to develop uh, an Australian-led Antarctic research expedition. So he recognised the potential on that and he wanted to actually get the the research happening. Um, So embarking on this Australasian Antarctic Exhibition with Mawson, John King Davis captained a ship called the Aurora with a crew of uh, with a crew and 31 expeditioners. The ship carried materials for living huts and wireless masts uh, for radio comms. A five-man base was set up at Macquarie Island and the re- remainder sailed to the Antarctic to establish two bases. So Mawson led the main base, a Commonwealth Bay, and the other bloke, Frank Wilde, led the western base at Queen Maryland. So in, uh, uh, in November 1912 of that expedition, the Far Eastern Sledging Party, led by Mawson, left the main base um, and were not aware of the tragedy that was about to happen. So on the traverse, uh, one of the explorers, Belgrave Ninnis, was lost when he plummeted down a crevasse with a sledge carrying many of the supplies. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I just, I mean, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be torn. You'd think, oh, my God, we've lost him and we've lost the supplies. And uh, plummeting down a crevasse is... Oh, <laughs> that's that's a nightmare. Oh, no, my gosh. A... <laughs> oh. Uh, another one of the expeditioners, Xavier Mertz, uh, perished from physical exhaustion, starvation, and possible toxicity from eating dog's livers. Yes. They got uh, uh, vitamin A toxicity, I believe, yeah. Because uh. they had to eat the dogs because the... the uh, the supplies fell down a crevasse. <laughs> it just goes from bad to worse. <laughs> so Mawson was the only one left, but he was determined to return with the data and uh, specimens they'd collected. Uh, so he struggled, <laughs> struggled back for 30 days, reached, eventually reached the base, only to miss the ship retrieving the men by hours. Yeah. So... <laughs> Fortunately, even though he missed the ship, there was um, six men from the Aurora who said, "Look, we're going to we're going to stay back, search for the party when we we can." Um, so they were there and were able to spend winter with with Mawson. Um, so yeah, that sort of worked out well. Well, worked out well. But aside from yeah. all the horrible tragedies, <laughs> it worked out well for, for, for Mawson. So that Australasian Antarctic exhibition successfully charted large segments of the East Antarctic coastline, invested sub-Antarctic Macquarie Island and the Southern Ocean, and their land exploration included over 6,400 kilometres 
um, in Adele Land, King George V Land, and Queen Mary Land. Uh, the expedition advanced scientific knowledge of Antarctica in the fields of geology, cartography, meteorology, geomagnetism, biology, and marine science. Uh, so all the sort of dreams of actually of Mawson making it a, a research um, project were, well, not all the dreams, but you know, a lot of them were realised. Uh, biological species on land and sea, which had never before been encountered by humans, were described for the first time. And there were 22 volumes of scientific reports produced, including meteorological data and geomagical, geomagnetic fields collected over 18 months. So it was a pretty impressive expedition. Uh, we had Mawson, we. Australian Commonwealth had uh, on the first Australian $100 note. Now, I'll just actually, I'm going, I'm going to quiz you a bit on this because I was surprised on the date. When do you reckon the first Australian $100 note came out? Uh, see, I feel like I should know this because we, I did a bit of a, a history on Australian currency, but I actually genuinely have no idea. <laughs> um, just a hundred dollars, so it has to be pre uh, post decimalization. Yep. So, but you have to have a practical reason to have a bill that high, right? You're not going to just yep. do it for no reason. So I'm going to say like the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 1984. So, yeah. well, yeah, well reasoned. So, that was a paper note. Um, and then after, after that, uh, where was it? From May 1996, we went to our, our polymer notes. Polymer notes, yeah. yeah. With experiments in the 80s to make them. Our, our regular listeners will know all about it. Yeah. And I, I can't even tell you when when I did that, but it was a while ago. No, probably I, a year I, as ago. As you were saying that, I was trying to, trying to remember when that was. But yeah, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, so Mawson's no longer on the $100 um, note. Uh, and God, I bloody looked it up today because my wife asked me, I'd mentioned this. Because I, I actually had had a had a dream that involved somebody giving me money and it had a blue paper note on it. I thought, oh, that's because I've dreamt about this. I can't remember. I actually have. Uh, it was Dame Nelly Melbourne and someone else. It's John Monash. Monash, that's right. General, General yeah. Monash. Yeah. Okay. Now, what else caught my eye about uh, Mawson and the Antarctica? So I want to finish this on something I know is very near and dear to your heart, DK. So what would you do if you were isolated on a station for months on end and had plenty of free time and some sugar? I would. Some hops. <laughs> I would make beer. <laughs> I would, as soon as you said sugar, I was like, I'm making grog. Yeah. But then again, where, uh, where do you get the yeast from down there? I can't imagine there's much wild yeast in Antarctica. No. Well, you have to, you have to bring it in. There is a long history. In fact, almost since the... Um, almost since the Australian presence down there. And look, it's not just the Australian presence, but you know, we've been down there for a while. 
and uh, you know, <laughs> home brewing it. So there's a there's a certain amount that you're allowed to take. Uh, but oh, well, let me tell you about it. So the Australian Antarctic Division's got several bases. There's there's two islands, Macquarie Island and Heard Island, which are in the subantarctic. And then on the uh, continent of Antarctica, uh, there is Mawson, Casey, and uh, Davis. All of them had uh, home brewing. And yes, that's in the past tense. So we'll hear about the bureaucrats oh. wielding their oh. red tapes of misery at the end. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, had to, I had to go into the past tense for that, but uh, yeah. So it's not a happy ending. Uh, but for now, let's enjoy some stories of uh, home brewing in the Antarctica. So there was this, this is from the ABC in 2017, which was talking about Macquarie Island. And it was a good uh, description of what goes on in the islands and uh, bases. So I also like to, in, in particular, the communal nature of helping with preparation, washing bottles and creating festivities around the finished batches. That was a common theme in all the ones that I was reading through here. So from this article, the Brewmaster is a position on the island in the southwest Pacific Ocean, about halfway between New Zealand and Antarctica, that involves boosting researchers' morale with a steady supply of beer. Uh, Research station leader Kyle Williams said life was similar to back home and it was not unusual for expeditioners to let their hair down after a hard working week. So brewmaster was an an appointed position secondary to their their actual role at the the station. So people didn't actually go down just to be brewmaster, but somebody... uh, (laughs) I volunteer. I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. so for most expeditioners, due to the busy work schedule, we don't have a lot of time at all. But when we do, we have the privilege of having a drink after hours. A couple of expeditioners are appointed at the start of the season as, as brew masters. Normally once a week or a fortnight, they go to a brewing area, which involves brewing the beer, cleaning the bottles and bringing them into the mess for social gatherings, Mr. Williams said. We celebrate birthdays and major events. We usually have something on once every fortnight to keep us engaged, which would just be so important down there. You know, it's mm. not, if, if, yeah. Uh, they actually had, he said, we actually had a version of Oktoberfest where everyone got to sample oh. a range of nine different beers that the Viewmaster had provided. That's cool. Yeah, that was. And then there was a 2016 interview in a website called The Crafty Pint. And we'll have I'll have all these references as usual in the show notes, which you'll find in the uh, where you download your podcast. Uh, you'll also find it on the R slash Australian subreddit when we post this interview, uh, post this episode. Uh, so yeah, this was an interview in the Crafty Pint with researchers on Casey Station, which had one of the the bigger brewing things and highlights some of the aspects of brewing in the Antarctic environment. Uh, they had a dedicated brewing area. Oh, well, this is in the present tense because it's 2016. Casey has a dedicated brewing area with a kit large enough to yield around 230 bottles or 19 litres per brew and a storage area large enough to hold 2,500 bottles worth of the precious liquid. Mm. That's a few bottles. Uh, 
In winter, the population at Casey's Station drops from around 100 people down to just a quarter of that. So brewing brewing becomes an important part of keeping the small team socialising and entertained in the downsoft times. Uh, so pretty much anyone who wants to help is welcome. He says, however, over winter we have a core group of about 10 regulars uh, with almost the rest of the crew, almost all of the rest of the crew helping out occasionally. Uh, we have had everyone from politicians, journalists, electricians, university professors, doctors, plumbers, builders to Canadian pilots and PhD students helping with the uh, brewing. It's a great social atmosphere and we even get non-beer drinkers helping, which is not surprising if you're down there. I imagine you want to see it, be involved in the, the social things. So this is what you were asked. You have to be super organised with ingredients and spare parts as we usually only have one main supply delivery each year. One good thing is it's easy to chew the beer. Just leave it outside for 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was that was one of the – because I, I – and I haven't got details of it here, but there was someone from uh, Mawson Station or Casey. I can't remember which one was – uh, speaking to an online forum, getting suggestions for what beers to brew next because they'd run out of hops and they weren't getting supplied for, a, I can't remember, it was for a few months. So it went into a whole lot of beer technicalities that I don't particularly understand. Um, but yes, when you're out of supplies, you don't just go down to the shops. No, it's a bit... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. it's a bit more difficult. <laughs> yeah, so we'll finish off the uh, stories of the, the the beers with a story from Mawson in 1959, and this is Blake uh, Graham Bud. I had bought the recipe from Heard Island, where in 1954 it had been known as Azarella Juice, but my grateful patience at Mawson had produced the poster scene on the the door, which celebrated its virtues and ended with the punchline. Your doctor will tell you it's good for you. The figures left to right, and there's a, a, a photo of a couple of, of blokes. You'll see that in the link. Uh, ionospherics physicist Ross Dunlop and senior meteorologist Ian Widows, who earlier in the year, uh, excuse me, uh, who earlier in the, the year had had a retro caseal appendix removed while lying on one of the mess tables and being a tall sort of chap the sewing machine yeah i can think of other places i'd like to have an operation not down there yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he finishes off by saying my most popular medical decision of the year was when exploding homebrew bottles on a shelf in the kitchen had obliged me to declare a public health emergency requiring that the hazard be removed forthwith by emptying the bottles in an appropriate manner. Compliance, I'm happy to report, was 100%. <laughs> <laughs> that, Which that was... the, uh, the old exploding homebrew bottles is uh, definitely something to watch out for if you are brewing. Um, it's easy to do and it makes a very, very big mess. <laughs> now, finally, the bureaucrats strike again, the banning of the brew. So in 21, 2021, all home brewing was banned. Ah, you, yeah. It's so recent. I ah. know. Yeah, exactly. So there's a new alcohol, a new alcohol policy implemented by the Australian Antarctic Division. Um, 
Uh, so from a, a, an ABC article, the incoming AAD policy recognises the need to create a comfortable and safe community atmosphere on research stations with the ability to have a drink while engaging socially and to celebrate special occasions. Do you reckon that wasn't freaking crafted? Mm. The division's director, Kim Ellis, said so. Remember his name. Uh, he said the policy was not a response to was not a response to any particular incidents, but to risks associated with living in Antarctica. So it wasn't actually, hey. yeah. And he said Antarctica is a new, unique environment. It's incredibly cold, incredibly harsh, and very small mistakes can lead to big consequences. Mister Ellis said. Here in Hobart, you might have a drink and go out and sit in the front yard and stare at the stars, but if you do that in Antarctica, you're drunk and go out and stare at the stars, we'll find your body in the morning. So, yeah, didn't really buy that. No. Well, uh, considering it's never happened before, it doesn't sound yeah. like it's a it's a solution looking for a problem, not the other yeah. way around. And then he, then he, throw, he throws in... Um, uh, Mr. Ellis said home brewing at Antarctica stations um, would no longer be permitted because it was not possible to safely manage consumption, hygiene standards, and alcohol content. I mean, been doing it for 60 years. So, right. Yeah, so- we need a petition. We need to get it back because, uh, yeah, that's... I'm upset about that, and it doesn't even affect me. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was. So, but this bloke himself, he said, on my first trip down in 79, I can remember us making a St. Patrick's Day brew with green dye. It was just terrible, but that was the tradition, Mr. Ellis said. There's also the argument that it brought the Antarctic stations into line with workplace standards at other government places. So, look, I can, I can see the argument, however... To me, it seems like a shame in many ways to end an established mm. tradition. You know, maybe throwing out the yeast with the the wastewater. So, <laughs> yes. to remember his name, there's a little sting in the tail from an article in the Australian 2022 titled "Busted Smuggling Booze in into into Antarctica." This week, Australia's sorry, this week Antarctica's own Chappelle Corby scandal struck the icy desert only with less boogie board cases and more professional shame. Australia's Antarctic chief was caught smuggling alcohol into the frozen continent this week in violation of a law he created. In a, uh. sca- yeah, in a scandal Kim Ellis deemed to be embarrassing, idiotic and humiliating, Australia's man on the icy uh, continent apologised for his genuine mistake. He was caught sneaking the alcohol onto an RAAF flight from Hobart, Hobart to Wilkins Aerodrome, which he claimed to be a gift for somebody else. A likely story, they editorialized. <laughs> Doing a routine, routine bag check, they discovered a bottle of wine in my luggage, he told the Australian, recounting the incident that occurred last November. I don't actually drink in the Antarctic and I barely drink in Australia. Somebody gave it to me as a gift to take to someone on the station. It wasn't for me. I was simply a courier to deliver it. So, yeah. Likely story, Mr. Ellis. But that- Rules for thee and not yeah. me. Bloody oath. Bloody oath. So that little bit brings us up to date on uh, Mawson, our two ticks town talk where even if they don't have enough to make a drink, they'll always have enough ice. 
<laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I I have always had an incredible fascination with Antarctica ever since I was a kid, which is how I knew about, uh, as I mentioned, uh, they got uh, vitamin A or suspected vitamin A poisoning oh. uh, because I'd read the story about Douglas Mawson's uh, uh journey adventure i don't know what to call it tragedy it's a bit Ooh. of everything really um but incredible just an incredible story uh he wrote a book about it um i cannot remember what it's called um which i read when i was a kid um and i've used that as a fun fact ever since if you ever have to eat a husky don't eat its liver um <laughs> <laughs> that uh, someone okay. one day that might save your life. So keep that in the back of your mind. All the, or everyone that's listening to this, that fun fact: if you meet a husky, actually, and I've cursed <laughs> you with this knowledge now because anytime you ever see a husky, you'll think of that. Um, <laughs> uh, and I've uh, yeah, I've always had a thing. I'm, uh, I did have an opportunity many years ago to go down to Antarctica on a research vessel uh, working on it. And I didn't do it at the time. And actually, it's one of the things I've always regretted and will probably oh. will regret it for the rest of my life because uh, it would have been an incredible adventure. But there is some good news. You too can be a little bit closer to Antarctica because every day, uh, right now, the Australian government Antarctic uh, program releases a live webcam feed from uh, Casey Research Station, Mawson Research Station, Davis, Macqu and Macquarie Island. Uh, and you can see a live feed of every day that happens. Uh, admittedly, the camera is stationary, but uh, you can actually see the goings-on down in Antarctica. So we might throw that in the show notes as well. Um, but okay, I I'll, get, yeah, I'll get you to send me that, that link just to now... Um our thing in disco is that facing in or facing out uh it's facing in so you see the base itself uh oh, okay. this sort of the operations the daily operations of the base again it's not much to see uh yeah. but it is kind of cool to see you know just just they sort of do a, a, a time lapse uh of the day uh and uh obviously it's currently summer down there so there is a bit there's a bit going on um and it's just cool you know, just to see what, what's happening and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm sure, you know, their family and stuff like that, because there is a few people down there at this time of the year doing repairs and all sorts of stuff, getting ready for the winter. So um, it's it's a cool little feature that they have uh, for all of the stations. So you can have a look. Um, I am disappointed to hear that they don't do the homebrew anymore. I know there are a, yeah. I know there are bars on the station. So the fact that he said that there's no way to monitor consumption is is quite frankly that's bullshit um, because they are served at a bar, I believe. Uh, yep. And I know for a fact uh, at the US's main station, I think it's called McMurdo, uh, which is very close to New Zealand's Scott base. Uh, they have a bar, and I'm pretty sure they actually have more than one because there's nothing to oh, do. They, I, I did like I. Th I think there's the the government the, the government the current government regulation is um, ten uh, drinks per week that you're allowed. Um, that's their you know their 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 ruling. Um, okay. So you can yeah. still drink. You can still get off work, have a beer, but you, it's just not brewed there anymore. Yes, exactly. So you're allowed to bring down some um, 
some alcohol. Uh, it's kept in a thing called Fort Fort Knox, uh, but you're restricted to either uh, like ten. I think it's ten, something like ten cans of beer, uh, the equivalent number of bottles of of wine, or um, half a, a bottle of of spirits. Um, so yeah, that is restricted. But because the the homebrew was supplementing that. Mm. Um, they said no, but the Americans are doing the same thing because I thought, oh, well, hang on, is this just Australia? Um, the Americans are bringing in restrictions. They've they've halved the allowable stuff there, um, and bringing in similar restrictions as well. So the the, the bureaucrats are spreading. They're winning. Tentacles. They're winning yes. worldwide. Yeah. I look. I I do get. I understand the point from a safety factor, like, you know, if you've had a few too many, you'd stumble back to your, because there are multiple buildings in these bases. It's not just one big, big building. Um, And you can, you do have to go outside in some, at some points. So I can understand how they're like, look, we don't want you to have a couple of drinks, go outside, you know, lose your way. Yeah. And, and die in the snow. I get it. But the fact that it's been going on for as long as it has and it's never happened clearly shows that, you know, these are professional people. It's not a bloody pub full of bogans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not the average Queensland pub. It's, it's <laughs> Antarctica full of professionals. You know, yeah. I'm sure something would happen eventually, but I don't know. I just feel like it's a bit bit over the top, but either way. Yeah, but. I did too. And before we move on, fun fact about Antarctica, none of the buildings' doors lock. Oh, really? Which, when you think about it, it completely makes sense. But, um, yeah, that's a bit of a fun fact. The doors themselves don't lock. They can't lock. uh, And they're basically, most of the doors are basically like like the sort of doors you have on big commercial walk-in fridges. Same sort of door. But, of course, you're keeping the heat in, not the... You know, you're keeping the cold out, not the heat in. But yeah, none of the doors lock because that is a safety hazard. Yeah. You go outside, the door locks behind you, and you're. Oh, of course. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible way to go, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 